everybody judges you by how yes. you sound. Yes. And that's another thing about voice is you at least want to present yourself in in that authentic way and mm. why they don't use their authentic voice. Now that I have found to be very interesting when I start to unpack that a little bit yeah. with some of the younger women. And I think it goes back to their childhoods. Welcome to Power to Speak, the podcast. I'm Jackie Goddard, and it's my mission to make entrepreneurs, leaders, and speakers excited about sharing their business ideas. To watch them transform from fearful to fearless in front of their audience. Power to Speak, the podcast, is aimed at those aspiring to be leaders, entrepreneurs, and speakers, giving them the opportunity to learn from those that have been there, seen that, and got the t-shirt. I discuss with them how they've used their creativity, curiosity, and humility to create their success. Welcome to Power to Speak, the podcast. And my fabulous guest today is Susan Murphy. And Susan, welcome. It's so nice to be here. I'm delighted to share some time with you this morning, Jackie. Yes, and I know very it's very early your side. <laughs> A little bit, but not too bad. Yeah, well, thank you so much for for, for getting up and, and being here. But we'll we'll talk later, and people will understand how how you at seven o'clock your time in the morning you are bright and breezy and looking lovely. It's almost lunchtime for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you are a a broadcast voice coach. I am a voice coach working in you know a business area, but actually your broadcasting voice coaching is is quite different because you're working with a different set of people so you're working with television people basically news readers anchors mm -hmm. and weather people so oh. explain a little bit about how you came to sort of niche in that way well this was an idea I had always had in the back of my mind and last year in fact it was last summer I just decided I was talking with a friend about possibly starting a new business and she wanted to do one. And I said, well, let's have lunch. Just like what's going to give us the courage to do this. And she said, well, you know, what I've always read is that if you want to do something niche, you have to quote, have a very strong opinion about something. Well, that light bulb went off. Oh yes. I have a very strong opinion about how voice should sound on television and radio. So that was kind of the impetus I needed to get started. And I knew I could work with broadcast people and the pandemic and the rise of Zoom is the perfect vehicle for me. So I ran the idea past some news director friends of mine and they thought it was a great idea and that thought it would be very useful. And in fact, the one news director sent me my first two clients and then wrote me a recommendation. And that's how the business started. TV people in my generation mostly came up through radio. So there was some training, so to speak, in voice. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. And in J schools and broadcast uh, performance classes, it's not really uh, studied or um, it's, not, it's not really stressed. And I think that's missing for a lot of reporters. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons voice is so important for a reporter is that if you don't connect with an audience, if you don't sound authentic, if you don't sound like an expert, your audience signs off, your audience goes away. 
And that's something I have learned that reporters and anchors don't always understand. Yes, they have to get through sentences and for anchors, it's sentences that are moving on a screen past them. Yeah. That's its own nightmare. So showing them how to dig out a beautiful voice, how to use a pause when appropriate and really connect to the copy. And we, we talk about writing as well, really elevates their presence on television. And it's made a difference in a lot of their lives. Yeah. So you came to this because you had that background yourself. Yes. So what were you like as a young reporter yourself? Or how did it start for you? It started because I did a radio commercial when I was 14 years old and I kind of wasn't supposed to, the one girl who was supposed to do it was away at summer camp. So I did it and I went, oh my glory, they paid me to talk. Oh, how good is this? So I decided to pursue a career in communications thinking I was going to go into television, majored in it um, in college, really started my career in radio and truly I love radio more than I do television. And I always had a voice that was just a little bit deeper than others. I managed to avoid a Philadelphia accent, which is where I grew up. And I just fell in love with doing radio news and being a radio reporter and host because radio is such an intimate, much like podcasting, can be a very intimate conversation. It's dropping in, it's eavesdropping. And the ability for radio reporters to paint a picture with words is lost on a lot of TV reporters, but still important, I think. And so my career, which began, I stood on the shoulders of broadcasters like Jane Pauley and Betty Furness and truly the first wave of women presenters on television. And so did I, in the late 70s, suddenly everybody had to hire women. So jobs were plentiful, um, but to keep those jobs, I sometimes worried about my voice and probably thought, you know, I should sound more like the guys and, you know, I dressed conservatively and did what I think was right. Uh, over the years, that loosened up a whole lot. And um, my career just, you know, transitioned from radio news into producing, into public television, into voice acting. In our business, you always have to be open to reinvention because mm -hmm. there's always something else around the corner. So I've just been always happy to sort of move in the direction where my talents are best utilized. And did you have a mentor in those early days? Did you have somebody t teaching you how to use your voice? No, ma'am. In fact, I often say, I wish I had a me growing up. That's why I want to be that for young broadcasters. Encouragement is so important because when you're out there and you're being a reporter and yes, yes, this is always what you wanted to do, but then, okay, you get that job and you're doing it. A lot of them fall victim. I don't call it imposter syndrome. I call it imposter moments. They fall victim to that. Um, their confidence level is often so low because they just aren't really sure whether they're doing this right. And often they are, they don't get enough feedback from their bosses. And when they do, it's generally negative and it's not encouraging. So what I'm trying to do is being encouraging and, and watching that confidence grow through their ability to use their voice most effectively. 
Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with that, certainly in, in terms of what I do, because it's just that sort of transformation that you can see physically. You know, it's just it, for them, the sort of the penny drops and they can they can start feeling it in their body and they they can hear it in their own voices. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's such a transformation. Exactly. That it, that it, and it's that my it, reward. Yeah, I mean, I get paid for it, but my reward is to watch them become more fully the reporter and anchor they wish to be. Yeah. And is that what you, because you you are a professor at, or you have been a professor yes. at a university. So is that what, what you were teaching? Yes, yes, I loved it. I taught upper level broadcast performance courses. And sure, I can teach you about the television mechanics, but it all has to start with the voice in tandem with the writing, particularly for an anchor reporter with the words you choose are super important. Are they loaded? Are they biased? Are they appropriate? Are, that's a whole nother lesson. Um, so yes, I adored teaching it at the, at the college level. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the students I taught 15 years ago are the ones who now recommend me to colleagues. And, uh, you know, it's come full circle and I'm very great, grateful that they've done yeah. that. Oh, that's lo that's lovely. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I love bumping into students when they're all grown up and <laughs> can you go, oh my goodness. I'm with many of them. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. Um, so you grew up in Philadelphia and you, you say a, a Philadelphia accent and it's it's funny, isn't it? Because over here in the, in, uh, in the UK, there, I mean, you only have to walk five minutes and you bump into another accent. You come across right. another accent. Right. America is so spread out. I mean, there are the, I can hear the the New York accent and I can hear the sort of the, the southern, southern accent. But the Philadelphia, is that is that very different? To me, it is. It's it's that middle Atlantic. It's Philadelphia down to through D.C. and into Baltimore. There is a, a particular way of like they'll pronounce the word water. W-A-T-E-R, water. Give me a glass of water. And so I managed to avoid that. And now I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I, the only expression I use is y'all because y'all yeah. is a great word. It covers so much. So I just managed to have no accent. And back when I was coming up, no accent was the rule of the day. That has loosened somewhat. I'm not going to say that a full Southern accent is going to play well in Boston. It might not, nor would a Boston accent play very well in Miami. But regionally, if you're going to stick to your hometown, which a lot of reporters and anchors like to do, eventually get back to their hometown, it's fine now. 20 yeah. years ago, it wasn't. But regional accents are now appropriate in some places. In the UK, it, our accents acceptable or do they brand you in a good or bad way it's funny going back years i don't know what you know when it all kind of changed but certainly the the received pronunciation of the broadcasters over here for the bbc and that very clipped you know accent that everybody uh -huh. spoke very very like that um that's totally gone now but there is still a, a kind of a, a flattened you know Really? Yeah, but having said that, accents are now. They say, and I don't know. There are there's some statistics out there that you know the, from from the northeast here is the most trusted accent, or that the way different accents come across, whether they're more trustworthy, whether they're more warmer. So it's it is different. Yeah. They're, they're kind of viewed in different ways over okay. here, but right. definitely well, everybody, more. Everybody judges you by how yeah. you sound. 
Yes. And that's another thing about voice is you at least want to present yourself in in that authentic way and an authentic voice at least in my experience particularly for women is a bit lower is a bit richer is a bit bolder than what they're used to using mm. why they don't use their authentic voice now that i have found to be very interesting when i start to unpack that a little bit yeah. with some of the younger women and i think it goes back to their childhoods where a girlish or breathy or Barbie doll voice got their got the attention they needed or the somehow the approval that they needed. And now they still hide behind those voices. And that's not natural to them. It was something they needed to do at the time to I worked with one woman who said she grew up in a rather dysfunctional household and lot of yelling going on and she just tried to be the peacemaker so her voice would rise as she would just try to go from situation to situation to put out the fires and when we worked on where her natural pitch was it wasn't there and once she started using it regular she, regularly she actually said to me this has been healing have you found the same in your yeah. life? Yeah, you do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's incredible, isn't it? Because it's so deep within us. And yes. as you say, a, a lot of the way that we speak and we communicate goes way back. And it served us back then, but it doesn't serve us now. Yeah. And I had a similar thing with, uh, I was teaching um, a Find Your Voice workshop and I had a, a former teacher. She was retired at this point, but she came in just because she, she needed more confidence around her voice. And But she'd been a teacher for 30 years, 40 years. Um, and I was sort of trying to get her to speak, use different levels of her voice. So to sort of go through and play with it, just play with the different voices. And I said to her, well, would, you know, maybe do this with more authority, really to sort of give me that really deep authoritative voice. And she said, oh, I can't use that voice. So what do you mean you can't use that voice? She said, oh, my my mum told me when I was a child not to use that voice because I sounded like Peggy Mount, who is an actress over here from the 50s, I think, who was like a real battle axe, like a, oh. I mean, she was sort of this caricature of a, of a British battle axe. And so she never used that voice. She never used a deep oh. authoritative voice. And yet she was a teacher. Oh. And you think, well, how how did you manage to go through that career? But yeah, at the end of at the end of that, and I've several students come up and say it was like therapy. It's you know, it's just a it's just a, a, a release and a relief to be able to use even, it and find their own voice. And even for men, I have found well, and for my anchors particularly, they often adopt a voice that they think they should yeah. sound like. Whoa, 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 back up! No, no, no. We're going to find who you really do sound like, and you're not imitating anyone you can admire them but let's not imitate them so even for the young men i have worked with there has been some sort of release for them that they don't have to invent something yeah that that natural voice is there and when it's paired with the right connection to words and the right connection to their audience well hello that's yeah. how it's supposed to be and yeah. that is so it's two different two different problems that have kind of almost the same basis. Yes. I mean, do you think that, I don't know if you've, you've sort of um, 
worked with obviously I come from an acting background so oh. the way that I work with people with their voice is very much around sort of the, the way they storytell and and that again is finding something quite vulnerable within themselves to actually share and that can be quite cathartic in a way oh. um, and, fi and finding those stories so when I talk about being authentic with my clients it's really around uh finding out who they are so it's not just about the voice it's about you know when I go back to the acting it's about finding the motivation it's about it's about being I mean in terms of acting it's about being the character rather than playing the character right. and I think that sounds similar to that to those anchors that you're talking about that are pretending or playing at being an anchor rather than just being themselves in in that moment Yes. So how, how do you work with them around finding their authentic voice? Well, the first thing that that I do for everybody, no matter what the challenges and issues are, is we go through the breath work that I was taught, not as a voice actor, but as somebody who needed triage singing lessons when I did regional theater. Sure, give Susan some lines, put her in the chorus. She's great. But I was cast in a musical where I had to sing a duet with another woman, you want me to sing a duet, really? Okay. So I had about seven weeks to get that voice in shape and worked with a singing coach who at first said, Susan, we're gonna do the breath work. And if you're really, you're gonna do it and you're gonna put the post-it notes around your house to remind you to do it. So we work with, I work with the breath practices that I learned from her that translate so beautifully into into um, on-air work and it's imagining their backbone as a string of pearls as their weight really drops into their feet or to the seat of the chair and that it creates this clear unobstructed pathway for air and energy and then I teach them the best thing I ever learned about voice about a part of your body that has so much to do with voice that you would never guess what that part of your body is do you know what it is well, I know what I tell, <laughs> I know what I tell people, it's generally the tension we hold up here. So it's, yeah. I, shoulders, right? Yeah. And that do this. if you do nothing else, if you're like caught in a sudden live shot and you have to go live in a second, if you remember nothing else, drop your shoulders because that's going to relax a whole lot of your body, all the muscles from here up, if you can remember to dig out that beautiful voice, that air from the bottom of your diaphragm. So I always big on the shoulders. Um, and that's how we begin every lesson and how when they deliver their lines and, you know, the packages that they're putting together. Uh, that's how we always start. And I constantly harp on on the little techniques that you need to get there to I, I call that the zone when you've Put your body in the exact right spot that it should be to use your best voice that's the zone and if you practice it enough of course the breath i always do in on four and out on six and the reason we do out on six and broadcast is because sometimes broadcasters when they're in the heat of the battle their brains will say you're going to run out of air you're going to run out of air but if you practice breath six out completely exhaling it's a trick that says to your brain yeah, you're good. You're not going to run out of air. Yeah. So that takes away that little thing that sometimes eats away at them. 
So if you practice it for a minute, a minute, six breaths, go on about the rest of your day until you find that other post-it note that you've left, maybe this one on the refrigerator that just says breath, stop, breathe for a minute. If you do it several times a day, it does become muscle yeah. memory and it does I often say it clarifies things. It slows down your heart rate. It slows down your blood pressure. It's just good for you. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I'm a fan of the box breathing, um, but, but I like that's the way you you kind of breathe in for four, out for four, in for four, and it, oh, it, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's 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 basically four and four. I've heard of that breathing out look, and it's the same in yoga. I do yoga, so you, breathing out for longer than you breathe in for. Yeah. But I was when I'm talking to to clients about their and going through their breath with them. For me, it's when they when they breathe out, it's pushing out that last bit, so they can they can feel their abdominal muscles actually pulling in because they've they've let that last bit of air out, right. and then that you know that naturally means that the next breath in is is a sort of a longer deeper breath, and then they that's when they get to to really feel where that breath needs to needs to go. And if you but, practice yeah. it lying down, now. right. Yeah. But if you practice it lying down, then you really see your belly moving and that helps your brain to understand the diaphragm as a muscle, A, yeah. needs exercise, and B, can do a whole lot more than you think it can do. No, I, I tell clients that lay down on your back, put a book on your stomach so that when you breathe in, you can actually see the book rising or I get them to put their middle fingers together just below their belly button so that when they breathe in if their fingers move apart and then when they breathe out they should come come back together oh no that's funny I say make a fist and put it right below your breastbone and just above your belly button and push on that and I, you know so okay that's your diaphragm that's your gut we talk about oh you know I have to trust my gut on that and where that expression fits into all of this and parasympathetic nervous system that operates against your sympathetic nervous system and you know how how that breathing can really just allow you to ignore the circus that is going on around you in a yes. newsroom or at a live shot or whatever so that you can concentrate on what you need to do I mean what's slightly different with what we do and and although I do get asked quite often should I use an auto cue should I script what it is that I'm doing so obviously I'm working with people that are doing a talk or they're standing on a stage or it could be on a zoom but they want to know whether they can have that script as a bit of a safety blanket so I work with them so that they kind of work to visuals and they work to bullet points so that they're, they're more natural and it's 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 not off the cuff it's well practiced but they're not reading but obviously with with what you do that auto cue is is essential isn't it really because they the the people that you're working with those reporters that may well have written their own script they have certain stories that they need to tell certain reports that they need to make so they have to I assume that's why they have to have it scripted right you know if, if a, an anchor tosses to a reporter at the scene he or she will kind of give you an idea of what's going on and then then they throw it to their own package which is the scripted part that they would have recorded earlier then the package finishes and they often come back to the reporter live who throws it back to the anchor. So those little bookends where you need to be unscripted. Back in my day, we all had reporters pads where we would write cues or phrases so that we would remember 
what we needed to do. I never encourage memorization. That sets you up for failure. Oh, gosh. So, but now these young reporters use their phones. Well, let me tell you about phones. Phones are A, something you type on and the print is way too small. So yeah, you can hold that phone, but if you're gonna try to rely on that and look down, at you, you're not gonna see it. It's just, you're not gonna see it. Plus, we learned a long time ago, when you write something down, write it. It sticks better. And write it in, thick, if you can, thicker black marker or pen. Mm. And so I've tried to convert them to reporter's pads, but nope, they all still stand there with their phones. Um, and that, that works against them, I think, particularly in their first couple of jobs. Yeah, you'll get to the point where you can do that off the top of your head, but yeah. not right now. Yeah. Really go back to some things, tried and true things that work. But sure, memorization for a reporter is death. Yes. I mean, it is for anybody, really. But at least the auto cue is a way. But that, that's the other thing of, of it, having a, an auto cue, but not just reading it in a monotone fashion. It's it's reading it as if as if you are, as if it is off the top of your head. So yeah, how, I, never how, use the word, I never use the word reading because that's that implies that it's just reading. So I always say yeah. we're delivering, we're presenting. We're not reading. So but that talks so monotone sometimes. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you work with that? How, what, what are your sort of tips to, to reporters if they're or anybody if they if they really feel the need to have what they've written on an auto cue? Because now, obviously, on our laptops and on our phones as well, there are apps that you can get that will actually do that for you. So, but how do you work with people to kind of get it to sound that natural? Well, one of the things, hmm, uh, depending on on where you are, um, how do I, there has to be, you have to believe in the words you are saying. The problem I run into with reporters especially is that it got drilled into their heads in journalism class that you have to be objective. You can't be biased. You can't be part of the story. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm not asking you to be biased or take a side or, but I am saying if you're, if anything from a city council meeting to that grieving mother who just lost a child, you kind of do have to be part of the story. First of all, you're working for your audience and your audience expects you to bring you that story, almost like you're taking the audience to the story. And so you have to do it in an authentic way where you are part of it. You can use emotion. You can use passion. You can vary the boldness of your voice, the, certainly the words you choose. I was working with a reporter yesterday where that's the hardest thing for her to do. She was doing a human interest story about a group of people that were getting supplies to people affected by the horrific flooding in Kentucky. And what what she did on the air was just so flat. And I said to her, these people are trying to help people in the worst of situations. And then at some point in the in the piece, she's saying that the group could really use some help from the public. And so we talked about how she can be involved in that story. 
And I said, in a human interest story, what other side is there that, you know, it got to do both sides. Mm, there's another side for that? No. Yeah. So they somehow they all got it in their heads that they can't be part of the story. So believe in it. Be part of it. Bring your audience along with you. That's yeah. there. No, I think you're absolutely right. And believe is is a big word in my in my in, in what I do too. Because, you know, again, as being an actor, if you don't believe what you're saying, then your audience won't believe you either. And that's something yeah. I bang on about a lot. And okay. I think that that's and that's where, where the authentic authenticity comes in too. Sure. Is because yeah, you have to believe what you're saying because otherwise your audience just won't either understand what you're saying or they certainly won't believe what you're saying so and I also yeah. have to work with reporters who think they need to speak in long sentences because they think that sounds smarter well in an academic setting where you can read it maybe the answer is yes but in a situation where you're presenting something to an audience or whatever the simpler sentences are far more effective because it's more like conversation. It's yeah. more the way we speak. I always say to the reporters, write it like a fifth grader. How old are you in fifth grade? You're 10. Write it like a fifth grader. Deliver it like a college professor. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Sentences with nice old words. Every now and again, a, a sparkly word is good. But And simpler sentences allow you to take more breath more pause pause i have to teach them about pauses it's not so much for you but it is you can take a new breath that that slight pause allows you to in your head jump ahead of where you might be going but a pause is really for me yeah a pause allows me to absorb what you just said yeah no it's it. again <laughs> Another conversation I have quite often is, no, you can slow down. You don't have to fill every space. You, your audience need time to catch up. And sometimes your brain needs time to catch up with your mouth. So just slow down, take some pauses. Don't be afraid of the silence. Just... No. Silence is golden in a Isn't really it? good way. Yeah. And that simplicity, absolutely, again, because it, it makes you relatable as well. You know, because you're talking, your audience aren't college professors generally. So, yeah, it, it's it, yes, again, it's finding, but it's it's also finding you, isn't it? It's finding the, again, it all comes back to that authentic voice. Uh -huh. Because I would imagine as well, I mean, I've seen reporters. I saw one lady reporting on what was going on in Singapore, I think. Oh, I mean, there was, uh -huh. you know, all sorts of madness going on and yes, people yes, on the yes. streets and stuff. And she was reporting obviously ad-libbing as she was going or in, uh, in my world I call it improvising <laughs> but she, she was ad-libbing walking backwards from the camera I into a massive crowd I saw that clip wow powerful oh, yeah so uh, can you teach that no I we're not ending here, just taking a quick break to remind you that you are listening to Power to Speak, the podcast. And we'll be right back after we hear from our friend, fellow podcaster and teller of tantalising tales from the Storytelling with Puck podcast, Stefano Capacchione. The story I'll, I'll read for you. The Once With Three Little Girls. 
This is a dream that I think really shows how we view transformation. Dreams, emotions, empathy, connection, stories. Storytelling with Puck. Find your next tantalizing tale on your favorite podcast platform or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. I think that's something that's learned after a lot of work not doing that. I actually think the ad-libbing can't really be developed until you become a superior, not reader, deliverer, presenter of scripted material. Mm. I think you need to, that's why I, I always advise my anchors and reporters take 10 minutes a day, go back on an old script, and deliver it again out loud. Constantly read, say it out loud. The better you get at that, and you have to become superior at that to be able to ad lib in a crazy crowd walking backwards. That's, you can't teach that. That That just happens after great practice in a studio or in other live shots. I yeah. Think. No, I had to have a, a similar thing when, when people think, oh, I don't need to prepare. I, I'll just wing it, you know, get on a stage and do their talk. They know what their, their theme is. They know what their subject is. I can just wing it. Like, no, <laughs> please don't yeah. wing it. No, you know, no. but it is, it's, and, and again, improvisation is, a, is the basis of all script work. So unless you can improvise, unless you can make stuff up as you go along, Unless you are really well practiced at doing that, then you, in my in my world, you can't then bring life to a script. Well, that's interesting. So we go the other way. Yeah. I say this, the, the basis of ad lib is scripted, and you do the other. That's interesting. But either I think either. Hmm. Yeah. No, but I, I think either way, it's just about having the confidence to make stuff up as you go along. And so either way, it's kind of making sure that you, you've you done your groundwork. Yeah. Reporters, <laughs> you know, they spend all day getting all the facts, interviewing all the people, and they're going to put together a piece that is only going to include this much of what they learned because you don't have all day to do it. So I always say to them, hey, you were there all day. You You know this story every which way, inside and out use that that is that's a basis for confidence for you you were there you know what was going on you can talk about the ins and outs and you could ad lib around stuff you weren't even able to put into your package kind of thing so gain or 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 absorb some confidence knowing you were there all day yeah again it's it's everybody knows their stuff and people come to me to do to do a talk that they've been asked on marketing or on engineering or you know it could be anything and they know their brain is full of knowledge but to say to them just talk for five minutes that's all you need you've got five minutes just just talk to this audience and then it's like it's like all the knowledge just drops out of their heads you know it's like but that comes with the confidence to 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 know that it is all in there and that's that that comes with practice and that that does come with maybe maybe years of practice which obviously you've had let's I'd love to talk a little bit more about your career Mm -hmm. so you started 
as a reporter. Uh-huh. And then you've you've got into voice work, so you've done uh, voiceover work for commercials. Mm-hmm. You've you've been a radio personality in New York. How did you end up in New York? How did yeah? Tell us a little bit about the career. Oh my goodness! Uh, how much time do you have, Jackie? <laughs> <laughs> you've got all day. I I have more twists and turns, but I think, and and if you had asked me if this is how it was going to turn out, I would have never have imagined. How did I end up in New York? Love this story. So um, when I was working in Philadelphia after college, I was working at a, ra- at a radio station that was owned by, at the time, Group W. That was the name of the company, Westinghouse Broadcasting. And I had married my college sweetheart, and he was working in television. Now, he worked nights, and I worked morning drive. We were never in the building at the same time. Well, about four months after we got married, brilliant folks up in New York in Westinghouse headquarters noticed that our checks were going, I don't, I think I did change my name and our checks were going to the same place. Wait, these two got married. Oh, well, you know, we have a nepotism um, policy around here. Get two married people cannot work in the same building. Really? This was 1979. So because I had worked like this much less than my husband, I was going to be the one to get fired. So I quit and my husband quit. We thought, of course, Westinghouse would crumble without us. Westinghouse did not crumble. They no longer exist, but they did not crumble. So I had been working part-time doing traffic reporting for a service in Philadelphia, and they wanted to start traffic reporting service in New York. Susan, you want to go? I'm all about that. So off I go. My husband follows me. He finds work. I find work. And that's how we got to New York. Wow. So started in traffic reporting, which meant that I met every program director in New York City. I was all of 24 years old. Got that on the air, was a traffic reporter, got hired away by a radio station to co-host an afternoon program, then uh, co-produced a morning show, then moved out to Long Island to become a news director at Long Island's top radio station, then uh, eventually left that to go into public television full time. That's sort of when I started my voiceover career. So I started as a producer at public television and then on air and then got to travel the world thanks to public television. I did a ton of fundraising for them. And in fact, my business partner and I were the people who invented what we called turnkey uh, pledge events or the fundraising events on public television that are done by other stations, but you can use on your own station because it doesn't include local information. You can do that part, you know, when you get there. So we, and that we did, we invented ourselves through a grant from public television that was in the early 2000s. And then things just, you know, kept moving and it, it, I just loved my career because I've always gone where I found a niche that needed to be filled. So, and all thanks to radio. Radio really does, pre- or it used to, prepare you for the ad-libbing we just spent a whole lot of time talking about. And it, it prepares you for all kinds of situations. And being a reporter, you just, you never know what story you're going to be assigned. So 
if you're not a curious person, if you don't love to learn, don't bother being a reporter. Um, so I've just always loved and investigated and left behind one job to move on to another. So, yeah. you know, I still do the voiceover work and now I do the voiceover coaching and um, it's been a really rewarding career and that I can give back to a generation of reporters and anchors. As I like to say, I've taken 40 years of broadcasting, condensed what I've learned and I can show it to you in a matter of four hours is how long we work together. Um, and I, when I started this business, I thought four hours was enough and eh, not really. So what happens is, okay, you stop paying me after the fourth hour. But for a lot of my people, I stay in touch once a month where I'm really a cheerleader, where I'm really yeah. another resource for them. Yeah. Because let's face it. TV and broadcast isn't what it was when I was coming up. It's a lot harder now. Yeah. And, you know, here in the U.S., I don't know about the U.K., but in the U.S., reporters and anchors are getting out of the business because of the horrific work-life balance, which that was part of my life growing up, too. But it was just part. It's like being a nurse or a police officer. You're going to work holidays. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You're going to work odd hours. Okay. Yeah. So, but I love encouraging young yeah. broadcasters. I mean, there must be a lot of stress in the in the job if you are reporting on on emergencies or you know tragedies, tragedies, and you know other stuff like that. That that, that must be hard as well. Yes, and I was out of the business. I was not doing radio or television reporting uh, on nine eleven, and I remember thinking how glad I was. Uh, the Challenger space disaster from the late eighties was the last mid eighties was the last kind of thing that I did, but you're right. The news that people cover now is so much different than what it was. Yeah. And you're right. That takes a toll. And I know we talk about being involved and being authentic and being open emotionally to your audience. Well, that's a mental health. Yes. Red flag that, yes, anchors and reporters now need to take care of themselves. One of my reporters had to um, go cover the devastation of the tornadoes in Kentucky last year. And she was there a couple of days and her reporting work was amazing. And of course, she saw things most 27 year olds haven't seen. And when she came back, I said, sweetie, I hope you can go get yourself a massage. You know, you need to decompress from this. Boy, when I was 27, I didn't need that, but she just, you know, yeah. so yeah. yes, yeah. right. The, the reporting now is so different and it's 24 seven. Yes. That didn't really happen until about the nineties. And I was um, then in public television, not so yeah, completely different. You're, yeah. You're, I mean, I, I remember growing up and there was like, I think 15 minutes at tea time of news and half an hour at sort of 10 o'clock and that was that was about it whereas now it's just rolling isn't it you know it's just constant yep which, which is bad for viewers and <laughs> yes it doesn't do any of us any good but on the lighter side I would like to I'd it, first of all when you were doing travel did you go up in the helicopter oh when I do traffic everybody traffic. Asks me that. Yeah. no no I we were a traffic reporting service based on the ground but we did have we didn't i think we had one helicopter helicopters are expensive 
fixed wing aircraft are less expensive. So we had pilots in fixed wing aircraft, but then you have to watch out about airspace and, and air traffic control. Yeah. So uh, no, I never reported from helicopter or fixed wing. I was always on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love those kind of idea of, of just of flying around in a helicopter and just. One of my very good friends did it for years and years and years. And then when he got out of like the service that we started, he became a helicopter pilot for different TV stations themselves. And he won Emmy awards for wow. you know, his coverage of yeah. being over a, a horrific news scene or whatever. And yeah. he loved it. I mean, you yeah. love it or you don't. I'm glad I was on the ground. Yes, yes, I have been in a helicopter there. Yeah, a bit scary. Uh, any less scary, an elephant and a, and a tunnel? in <laughs> The elephant in the tunnel story. <laughs> um, being a radio reporter, certainly back in the day, you know, in the 80s and even into the 90s, uh, before our phones and computers took over, um, we got to do really interesting stories. So the circus, the Barnum and Bailey circus would come to town in New York once a year. And they were very smart, those marketing people. The circus train would actually um, cross over from mainland New York, so to speak, and they would go onto Long Island, which is where there was more space to park the circus trains. But then they had to get the animals back into New York City up to Madison Square Garden. So um, things like animals, big uh, elephants got to walk to New York City. So I, and they did it at five o'clock in the morning and I got to ride. Very wide. Yes. I got to ride an elephant with a tape recorder. Um, I don't think I, did I do a live? I don't remember whether I did it live or I put it on tape and came back to the station, which might've happened, but I would ride this elephant through the Queens Midtown Tunnel and up 7th Avenue to Madison Square Garden. And of course that was free advertising for the circus and a whole lot of fun for me. I would pretend to interview the elephant. <laughs> she generally didn't have a lot to say, but no. it was, how many people can say they rode an elephant through the Queens Midtown Tunnel at five o'clock in the morning? Wow. I mean, was it like a whole train of animals sort of marching through New York? You know, I don't remember. I don't think so. There might have been two elephants or three, maybe, but because I can't imagine you're going to do them single file. How many times are they going to close the tunnel for you? Yeah, I mean, that yeah. car couldn't go through. So, yeah, I guess there must have been a parade. Those animals were um, taken up through the streets, quite literally. I mean, they didn't march. They didn't march tigers up the street. I assume yeah. they came in their cages, but elephants, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, what amazing! Just to have that on you know, that's yeah. that story to tell. But the other one, the other one I love is is you know it's someone that's dear to our hearts over here in the UK is Charlotte Church. So and you've worked with Charlotte. What what was the connection there? Yes, Charlotte Church um, became a television star at about the age of thirteen. Yeah, and uh, we met her because at the time we had a production company that was my business partner and I, that were uh, helping various, mostly musical stars, do their initial PBS fundraising events, so to speak. Like you would see 20 minutes of Charlotte Church in concert, and then we'd go into the fundraising part, 
back to Charlotte Church, whatever. And Charlotte would be part of the fundraising event. So the first time she came to New York, and we what we I remember distinctly the little set we made for her. We had plastic blow-up furniture, which was really fun <laughs> for a 13-year-old. So, you know, we sat down and we interviewed her there. And from that point on, she always requested me as the person to interview her for her events. So I guess she was probably a PBS star from about the age of 13 to maybe 18 or 19. So I interviewed her multiple times. Sometimes it was at her home in Wales. I think once it was in London uh, and certainly when she came to the US. So we at the time were kind of good friends because we were very comfortable with each other in terms of what we would talk about. And I was honored that she asked for me to be the one to interview her. So, um, and then I watched Charlotte, you know, as she became a mom and then as her, her career veered away from the opera and, you know, she became a pop star. And um, so I was very honored to do that. She was a, she was a sweet young woman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, she's a lovely personality, I think, as well. You know, she pops yeah. up every now and, now and again and over here. Didn't she have her own TV show for a while? She did. Yeah. Yeah, she did. The last time I saw her on TV over here was The Masked Singer. I don't know if you have that in the US. Oh, they... oh yes, we do. Yes. Yeah. Oh, did yeah. she go on that? Okay. She, yeah, I think she won. I don't know. I didn't watch it all. <laughs> um, well, before I let you go, I'm, I'd like to share your website because this is this is uh, Susan Murphy Vossot. So explain what is Vossot? If you work in television, I don't need to explain it to you. If you don't work in television, I do. Vossot is broadcast shorthand for voice over sound on tape. And that is like if you're a reporter and the story you're sent out to cover isn't a big story, it's just sort of a medium story, they'll send you out and they'll say, oh, you know, just go shoot it, take some pictures. And then when you come back, <clears throat> you're going to write just up a little something and the anchor will read it. And that's called the Vosat. So it's not the reporter doing it. She's just shooting the pictures and writing the story that the anchor will read. Nobody likes to do a Vosat. You want to do the package. You want to, you want to have your name on it. So that's Vosat is voiceover, sound on tape. For someone who's a broadcast voice coach, I thought that would be kind of clever. <laughs> but now that I'm kind of really thinking about expanding, you know who I'm going to work with in a couple of weeks? I'm going to work with a group of ministers on Ooh. voice. Because sometimes at seminary, it's all about the religion. It's all about the writing. It's all about getting the theology right. But how are you presenting it? Are you presenting it in a way that the congregants can best hear you, can best understand you, either theologically or physically? So I'm going to work with some ministers. And I think, you know, there's a place that my lessons could be useful. And certainly in business, I'd like to expand yeah. maybe into just some basic, you know, it's not, it's not hard. It's not long. It's fun. I always do the notes for you. I send you everything you need to, you can look back on. Um, so Vosat now needs to be explained for a lot of people. <laughs> yes, because you're moving into different different circles, yeah, which is understandable. No, that's great. Ministers, great idea. I'd like to do a similar thing with teachers because I don't think teachers really get 
that kind of training that they, you know, going back to the woman that I worked with that wouldn't use her authoritative voice made me sort of start questioning what teachers are learnt, um, are taught when they are at, at uh, doing their, their teacher training. I kind of always thought that would be included, but maybe not. Apparently not. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's another, there's another um, profession to scratch at. Yes, absolutely. So where else can people find you, Susan? You can certainly find me there at my uh, website and I'm on LinkedIn. Um, that's pretty much the two places that uh, there I am, right? Um, yeah. So anybody who would like to explore, literally it's four hours done over a couple of weeks. We don't do it all you know, at the same time. I am more than happy to share the tips and strategies because it can make a really big difference in a really short amount of time. And then you take off, you go yeah. run with it. That's yeah. how I work. So the basics of what you do is literally finding that authentic voice. Uh -huh. And then the writing tips that work so well, you know, if you're going to try to do long sentences and then what I taught you about breath, well, that's going to butt up against each other. That's not going to work. So we kind of do both together, writing and voice. But it's it's really simple tips that you can change the minute we leave Zoom. You can go and, and start using it. Oh, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. And I because I, as I say, the, the scripting side of of uh, reporting and as an anchor it hadn't really occurred to me. But I, I assumed somebody else wrote that and they just read it. But a, a lot of reporters have to write their own their own links and their own. Well, reporters always write their own anchors. You're right. They are often reading somebody else's work. Boy, there's a bee's nest for you when you're trying yeah. to figure out what. Yeah, that's hard. And that's where anchor cadence or what I call singing the news comes in and I can't stand news being sung. There's no connection there. You're just singing it. Doesn't matter what you talk about, they're the same thing. Yeah. That's a that's hard when you're reading somebody else's work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's where believe comes in for me. It's, you know, they have to really believe what it is. I, I always use the example of um Shakespeare. So if you go to watch a, a an amateur production Bless, bless amateur actors, they love what they do, but because they don't have the time to actually understand what it is that they are saying, then the audience come away going, mm, what was that about? That's, you know, kids don't get it or whatever. If you go to see the Royal Shakespeare Company do Shakespeare, you will understand every single word sure. because they may be reading somebody else's words, but they understand what's behind the words. They understand the motivation. And so mm. that's that's the example that I use. And I and I think if you are reading somebody else's words, then they have to become your own. Yes. Yes. And now I'm going to use the Shakespeare example. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. We've 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 spent all this time talking and I've I've sent you away with a nugget. So I'm, yeah, I'm well, very you actually sent me with several nuggets. Like <laughs> I'm going to look into does ad lib inform uh, scripted or just scripted in format lib. Now oh, I have yeah. something to work on. So, yeah. you know, I'd like to think this has been a a conversation where everybody learns. So, yes. Fabulous. You. Every day is a school day. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you, Susan. Thank, thank you so you, much thank for coming on. Much. And yeah, good luck with it all. And good luck with being a grandma. Congratulations. Oh, yes, she's just a little over a year old. I've waited a long time to be a grandmother. And um, her last name is Ferguson, and I never saw her first name coming, and they named her Murphy. 
Murphy. Oh my goodness. So, what a beautiful um, name. Yeah. So, a little granddaughter named for me, and she is the love of my life. So, oh, I was widowed oh. three years ago, and you know, so she really has filled a great big hole for me. So, oh, lovely. Oh, well, well, go away and enjoy. And thank you for being a guest on Power to Speak. Thank you. Let's do it again sometime. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five-star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk. And remember, check out some tantalising tales and magical moments from Storytelling with Puck. Find them where you find your favourite podcasts or head over to puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. Bye for now.